0: Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another exciting episode of Curious K podcast. Uh, my name is Color and I'm your host. It's a beautiful day here in Lagos. Uh, and as you know, the essence of this show, Career Escape Podcast, is uh, for us to have amazing conversation with uh, leading startup founders and ecosystem enablers uh, working to make entrepreneurship thrive in Africa. Uh, and I want to say a big thank you to everyone listening to this show across the world. And this is the 21st episode of the show. I'm really excited. On today's show, we'll be featuring uh, a very special entrepreneur uh, and I'm sure the lessons uh, and the story is really going to be interesting. And I'm looking forward to the conversation. And on that note, uh, I would like to introduce Shego Adeyemi. Uh, and a brief profile, uh, Shego has built uh, Amplified Payment System, uh, which he exited to... Uh, OneFi, which is carbon, uh, I think that was in March 2019, and he has led uh, a team of innovators, designers, and his goal really is to reinvent the, the future of financial services uh, in, in Africa. Uh, and his company actually built the first reoccurring uh, full cost payment gateway, uh, and the first social keyboard banking solution in Africa. And um, he's currently the country manager at Jumo, uh, which is a company that enables anyone with a cell phone and mobile wallet access to credit, savings, insurance, and other financial services. Thank you very much, Sheregu, for joining us on Queer podcast today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me and uh, thanks for the kind introduction.
0: It's a pleasure always.
1: So, Sheku, as you know, uh,
0: I mean, what we're trying to do here is just to get to know you, first of all. So, can you just give us a background about you? Uh, So, let's just get to know you. It depends
1: on the version you're interested in, but I'll try to keep it short.
0: All right.
1: We've touched on some of the things I've done in my career. So, I'll probably go a bit down. So, you know, I actually have... A background in economics started out wanting only to be an investment banker before I caught the technology bug. Thankfully, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but I did a bit of that. Um, I have studied economics in school. There were two things work as an investment banker, leave that, and go and become a central banker and become the CBN governor. Um, mm,
0: I like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that has very much changed to actually me now just focusing on leveraging still finance, but particularly with technology to um, drive prosperity in the continent. That's the way I like to see my work now. Um, so I'll, I'm Lagos born, Lagos bred, did most of my schooling here in Lagos. I um, went up to university level, um, you know, Like I said, started out in investment banking, and then about six years ago now, made the decision that I actually wanted to leverage on technology to actually do some work within the finance space, because I just felt like there was a lot of opportunity. And that was why I started exploring different things, and that has been the guiding principle for a lot of the work I have done since then. So yeah, I'm sure we'll get into some of the details, but I just wanted to give a very high-level overview as a starting point.
0: Yeah, thank thanks thanks Shagun, for sharing that. Uh so for us to dig down a bit, uh I know you went to Mest uh in Ghana, am I right? Uh so can right. you tell us a bit about that? Was that what led to you catching the technology bug? Or what what, what was the motivation for you trying to get into MEST? Uh, I think at that point you had you've worked with uh, I think hotels.henji, if I'm right yeah Uh, so what was it like why why did he wanted to take that move uh to go to ghana to be part of nest
1: yeah um so it's it's an interesting one because i caught the bug and then i needed a platform so what was happening was i was working in an investment bank i felt like there was a lot of things that could be done better using technology and i started reading about you know what was happening in different parts of the world and how startups were being built and how technology was, you know, software specifically, was eating into different sectors. And I think there was a major opportunity within the finance space as well. Um, but because my background and my thinking before then has been I was going to work in investment banking and finance, I wasn't sure how to make the transition. And one way I did that was to actually go work at a startup. So I'd worked with a company called insidefi and then I worked with um, another company called Hotels of NG. And it was at hotels of NG that I actually identifying and seeing a lot of ideas. But I didn't know how to make that transition to actually you know following through with some of these ideas and you know starting a company. So I felt like there was still some knowledge gaps, especially because it wasn't like I had a lot of experience you know um, working in the corporate sector or even working in finance because I was still very early out of school. So while I was there. I just felt, okay, I needed a platform that I could use to actually crystallize some of the ideas I was beginning to grow and also fill the knowledge gap. And then I started looking for options and that was how I got to know about the MES program in Ghana. And what MES is, is actually a, it's called the Meltwater Entrepreneurial School of Technology. And what MES does basically is to look for young, smart software entrepreneurs or budding software entrepreneurs and train them on technology and business. And basically enable them, if they decide that I start a program, they want to start a company, they'll give them seed funding. So for me, it was a no-brainer because that was exactly the kind of program that I needed at that time. And oh. then I applied, went through the process, you know got in and then went to Ghana, and actually coming out of that program was when I actually started my first company, which is Amplified um, pay that you already mentioned. So it was it was just a program that met a need in terms of where I was. In my thinking, in my plans, in my um, expectations, so so that was how the mess thing happened. It was just a more like a chance discovery because I had been paying attention to what was happening in the ecosystem, and it was just something like that I was looking for because I had too many ideas. I couldn't decide which one to work on, you know. I was I wasn't sure how to go about raising funds um, because that was not what I was wired for, and I didn't have a lot of experience in that. at the time when I went for the program it was the perfect opportunity for what I was looking for in terms of filling those gaps in my knowledge and experience from both a technology standpoint and a startup standpoint. Um, And then also giving me the time and the labor to to think through and decide on some of the ideas that I had and also to find the partner that I needed, or the partners that I needed to execute, and also um, achieve some of the goals and vision that I had at the time. So that 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 was that was a good platform for that, and
0: that nice. was
1: basically the reason why I made a decision to join or to attend MEST.
0: Nice. So so was it a paid program, or how does it work?
1: Yes. So it wasn't. So you don't pay as. A, it, so the the students are called entrepreneurs and residents. So you don't pay. Instead, you actually get paid a stipend. And the target or the way the program is being monetized is that if you decide to start a company out of the program, you would give some equity to the foundation that was running the program. With the hope that that equity becomes, you know, at some point super valuable and would fund. The next generation of entrepreneurs who are going through the program, so that's essentially right. how um, the program monetizes. But you actually don't; it's not a paid program for okay. the
0: entrepreneurs. All right, nice. That I, I like the model. So, apart from giving equity to the foundation, uh, if you if you have like an amazing idea, they also fund it right. You know, just immediately uh, uh, at the end of the program.
1: Exactly. So that's the second part. Um, By default, if you start a company, you're supposed to allocate some shares for the foundation. Then there's now the other part, which is now they make an investment offer to you if they like what you're building. And of course, they get some equity for that as well. So there's the part that is um, you more like granting or allocating equity to them as a partner in your journey or your success. And there's also the part where they're coming in as your first investors. So, yeah, that's how the model operates.
0: All right, interesting. Yeah, so for you, was it during the program you had, like, the Amplify idea? Uh, Because there were a lot of fuss in what you did with Amplify. So can you just walk us through, I mean, Amplify journey connecting with your experience, uh, Mest?
1: Absolutely. Um, the, The idea for Amplify in itself is um, something that has ruminated in my mind and in the mind of my co-founder, uh, Maxwell. So, like I said, before joining the MESH program, I'd worked in investment banking a bit. I'd worked in e-commerce, which is um, hotels. Um, and then my co-founder has also, he had worked in one of the bigger, you know, in quotes, traditional payment companies called Unified Payments. And then we both had a lot of ideas independently around things within the payments, within the finance space that we were exploring. Um, so we had that background and that experience. We knew the area we wanted to work. I knew I wanted to work in finance. I knew I wanted to work within payments. So we had been talking about different ideas, even though we had worked with different teams. Um, but it was while we were there that the idea was actually crystallized because we realized that for a lot of people who were building solutions that were like SaaS type solutions, um, and basically solutions that required you to accept recurring and subscription payments. The options that they had then were extremely limited. like now, where you know there's a lot more advancement in what exists today, and to some extent, that part has matured and there's a lot of solutions now. So when was this,
0: when was this, was this like 2017, what was the time? This was
1: 2015, 2016, this was late okay. 2015, so, okay. and, you know, early to mid 2016. Um, so, you know, so the, so it was, it was still like very, it was a very different ecosystem, even though it's just four or five years ago, but it was a very different ecosystem to what <laughs> we have now.
0: Yeah, so, there's been growth.
1: There's been significant growth and evolution Ooh. within the short time. Um. So th- so that was basically what we saw. And then, you know, the idea basically evolved, like, this is something that needs to exist. Mm. And me and my co-founder, you know, we felt like we had the experience to make it happen. And that was why we decided then that, okay, this is what we are going to build out of this program. And this is what we're going to pitch at the end of the program and, you know, source or source investment for after the program. And that was exactly what we did. And we were fortunate enough Um, to get funded by Mest, something that we were very grateful for. And that was how we set out to build Amplify as the first platform for accepting and managing recurring payments. You know, at Amplify, we built the business quite quickly and significantly. We were processing payments for some SaaS companies at the time, for a couple of the early digital lenders who had a reason to accept payments on a regular basis from the people that they've given loans to. We worked with a couple of, you know, microfinance banks and um, just basically businesses that had a need to accept recurring payments. Um, We grew the business to about, to over a thousand merchants in total before we did the exit. Um, We we were doing transactions of over $2 million monthly in terms of the transactions that we were processing. Um, it It was a pci certified platform and it was, it was it was quite an interesting business
0: <laughs> so 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 what like to so while building this i mean did it what, what was your exit plan initially were you looking at a quick exit what was it like for you i mean yeah. uh just trying to connect to with the exit okay now this is what you wanted to do this is the problem you've identified the, to the market uh uh, you you had the investment you needed to start. Uh, you've built, to like, a thousand merchants. You're doing good revenues. So, I mean, before you started, was it in your plan, build it to a point where you want to sell or where you want to exit so quick? Well, what's that? I mean, to would be great to, yeah. To, yeah. to learn that process.
1: Absolutely. Um, fantastic question. The good, the honest answer is that we weren't building to make a quick exit. Mm. The plan was actually to do two things. First is actually to drive the subscription economy in Africa. That was our mission, that was our target. We wanted to make it easy for businesses to go on the subscription route and to be able to accept and manage subscription payments easily across the continent. That was what we're aiming for. And the second part of it also is that we also wanted to build it as um, we were setting out to build a big company. The examples we had then were the likes of InterSwitch, you know, um, and we were looking to build a business that massive. So we're not actually looking for quick exit or quick um, sale of the business. Um, we, build it for the, we were building the business for the long term. The exit happened, you know, because we, at the time when we made the decision, we felt like it was the best option we had um, or it was, a, it was the right decision to make at the time. Within that circumstance and with the information we had, with the um, with what was happening within the ecosystem and how that market was evolving, but that was mm-hmm. not the plan was not to have a quick exit,
0: All right? So, what, what, what was the figure for the exit? Is this something you like to share?
1: So, the the figure mm-hmm. for the exit is um, is, is not disclosed. Um, so legally, I'm not, I'm not allowed to disclose it, so <laughs> it's not like a guy, so we don't get
0: sued, <laughs> yes. you don't get to work. So I said, so we don't get sued. Exactly, right? yeah, if
1: I thought mean, you somebody might come for me or for you, so uh, <laughs> let's 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 enjoy the conversation. <laughs> it was I mean it's not, it's not it's not a figure to retire to the beach for, right, and that's why I'm still working very hard.:
0: <laughs> Nice. Yeah, but I think that was really good, I mean, for the ecosystem generally, because this was I mean, you were acquired by by a local company? Yes, yes, yes. So how how did that conversation go? Were you like, uh, were they like one of the clients or one of the merchants you were servicing and they were like, hey, we like what you guys are doing? Uh, or they, they just reached out. What, what was it like? And were you like, when you saw the email, like, oh, is this true? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So the, the it, it wasn't a surprising deal per se, because just like you um, widely mentioned, they were actually at some point more than fifty percent of our transaction volume, so they were already they they were the biggest customer for us. Okay, and they we're one of the earliest as well. So they were it was a business that we were close to. So we were close to the carbon team. Um, they had tried to invest in the business at different times. They had started a conversation around you know a potential partnership or collaboration and all that very early, even when we were very early in the stage. So we were very familiar with them. It wasn't a conversation we were taking very seriously until when it was, you know, time when we decided to exit the business and, you know, they were like a natural fit because they were familiar with the tech, they were familiar with the team, they were already seeing the clear value that we were bringing to the business, they understand it. Um, So it was a a natural evolution. It wasn't like one of those um, random reach outs or inbounds that you're like, okay, is this real or not? It was with a company and people that we're, to a large extent, pretty familiar with.
0: Uh, So that's like an organic, you know, these are guys you're working with. And at at that point, you know, like you said, based on the information you had, and uh, you just felt like that was the best decision. So looking back now, do you still uh, give yourself a pat on the back for making that decision?
1: Again, like I said earlier, you at, at the time we made the decision, it was um it was the best decision for us at the time. I'm even looking back, you know, I'm glad we did that because yeah, I'm I'm glad we, we made the decision to um exit at the time. But you know the way these things are, you 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 know, it's difficult it's it's easier to connect the dots mm. when you look back, you know. Um but you can't at the, at the time when you're making the decision, you only make what is what you think is the best decision with information and your intuition at the time, so for me, you know I'm glad we made the decision we made no regrets um, because it's just difficult to tell how things could have evolved differently
0: yeah so so let's just go back a bit so during mess right, I would just like to uh learn and hear from you uh, what was like the biggest thing that you picked up and uh, were they involved during the the acquisition conversation? Uh so I just want to know like the lessons from MEST and that up or the acquisition yeah. process.
1: Yeah. So yes, MEST was very involved um, up to and during the acquisition process. They were very involved because at the time they were our only or um, maybe like major investor. So they were very involved. And in terms of doing mess, you know, some of a couple of lessons, but I think two big ones that probably stood out for me, and I would like to emphasize is that they just being in the midst of driven young people who are very smart. Um, there's a lot of learnings that we learn from each other, even beyond just what you know, um we get from the facilitators or the mentors. There's just something in that ecosystem of bringing smart, young and ambitious people together. You know, there's just a lot of things. So for me, in that regard, I think it's an amazing platform from that perspective. And then the second part really is just to have sort of a platform that allows you to really just explore Mm -hmm. very quickly within a, in a short period of time, because it's one thing to have an idea it's another thing to actually build a company. So, you know, being able to just iterate and explore different opportunities and quickly like validate things in a relatively safe environment is something that was very helpful having. So I had a third um, one to it is that, that support system, again, things have evolved a lot. The ecosystem has grown. At that time, there were, there were not a lot of options for entrepreneurs. There were not a lot of examples. There were not a lot of mentors. You know, there was not a lot of capital. There was not a lot of like businesses that have started from scratch and have scaled successfully that were um, founded by like local entrepreneurs and all that. So at the time, just having people that were backing you, that were going to like go out of their way to try to connect you to who you need to speak to, um, you know, give you access to resource, was something that was very valuable and was very useful. Um, as part of the MEST experience. So for me, those are some of the things I would like to highlight as, mm-hmm. you know, as part of the MEST experience.
0: Nice. So how long did it take you to actually from the day you started or you received your first check from MEST uh, till the acquisition? What, what was it like? Uh, was it two
1: years, one year, three years? So we, we we announced our exit in March 2019. We launched Amplify in I think November 2016 or you know and then we sort of we launched it in 2017 around like march april 2017 so we actually started the company before we got the funding we started the company while we were still at mest
0: oh all right so that that's like uh three four years of work
1: um yeah so that's more like three um about over two years just less than three years actually
0: okay wow nice So
1: more like 2017 um early 2017 and then we announced the exits um 2019 so oh. end of yeah end of 2016 till early
0: 2019 all right nice yeah so what was it like after the acquisition right you know we still i mean we don't have like much of exit yeah in the ecosystem uh I think the biggest one we had uh, was announced last year, Paystack, uh, uh, yeah. uh, which is still very big for the ecosystem, but we still need more okay. of acquisitions, right? Uh, just to bring in more interest. Uh, so after the acquisition, I would like to know, what was it like for you? Did you just take out like three months out of vacation just to chill and relax and like, okay, what is next for me?
1: Yeah, I actually did exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> i basically took it exactly like from that match i mean we had started the conversation so it was more like from like january i was already chilling and i joined jumo in june so the all of that first six months of 2019 i was basically just like chilling and you know reflecting taking a break it actually took exactly like the first like almost six months to just chill because i didn't join carbon my team including my partner um the cto then they joined carbon but i didn't so i actually just took some time out to just chill because i was i was actually a bit you know not a bit i was actually quite stressed um and then i took some time out you know to just sort of settle got married traveled you know um traveled a lot you know chilled and then you know it was actually while i was in cape town i met some um, a friend who told me about Jumo and then it was, it was one of the opportunities I was actually thinking about. Okay. Then, um, that was when I decided, okay, since they are already doing this and they have ambitions of coming into Nigeria, maybe um, this is a good platform for me to align with. And that was exactly what I did. So, yeah.
0: All right. So can you tell us about Jumo? So what is, what is Jumo doing? I mean, in the, I mean, we know, I mean, there was a news that Jumo raised the, uh, uh, over 20, 50 million US dollars investment. On months. So can you just tell us, uh, for people that don't know, I haven't heard about Jumo. So what is Jumo doing in the in the fintech space across Africa?
1: Yeah, and the world. I, I think a good place to start with is to say, like, first of all, I'm, I've actually left Jumo officially. I left mm-hmm. Jumo in August um, as a country manager. However, I'm still a non-executive director in Jumo, so I'm happy to still tell you about what Jumo does. Um, mm-hmm. So Jumo is a, is a credit infrastructure company. And what that basically means is that, you know, um, we have the software, the, um, the data processing models, the algorithms that basically allow the company to go into any ecosystem that there's a lot of data. So if there's any place where there's a lot of data, there's a store of value the believer or the proposition of the company is that that should be sufficient to give people access to financial services. So Jumo would basically work with um, ecosystems like mobile money ecosystems, where there's a lot of data and there's a lot of um, customer touch points. And we use that data, we'd mine it, and use that to give financial services to those customers. And that's why we say, if you have access to a phone and a wallet you should be able to access financial services that's basically the proposition of jumo and it's a um it's a company that has been around for about you know four years now been pretty successful in a couple of markets in ghana in tanzania in um, pakistan in kenya um you know in uganda also now in Côte d'Ivoire as well, and also expanded into Nigeria. I will be launching in Nigeria also very soon because there's there's, there's quite a process before the company goes to market with consumer products.
0: So yeah, yeah right.
1: that, that that's what Jumo does at, at a very high level. Um, and just to add a bit of context to what that number looks like, you know, the company has disposed over two billion dollars in loans. Wow, and amazing. this is done through partnerships. So it's not like you can go on the Play Store and download Jumo as an app, everything Jumo does is actually done through partners. So we just provide the technology and uh, um, all these banking services, all the tech stack that is required to make it happen. Um, And then on the front end, you basically would interact with, say, an MTN or Airtel or Tigo, who are all partners to the business. So, yeah, that, that's what Jumo does. And for me, it was the mission that really got me, which is, you know, just to create financial choices for the underbanked. Because I think that's very much aligns with my own personal mission. And I like the fact that they, you know, Jumo has been able to do it at scale and reach people that the bank and other traditional financial institutions could not reach. So for me, it was a very attractive opportunity. It was a very... Um, interesting value proposition and it was something that also was very impactful so i was very happy to align with such an opportunity
0: amazing yeah thanks for sharing that
1: uh so right now
0: i mean fintech space i mean receives and nigeria receives maybe over 70 percent of investment coming in uh how do you see this like in the next five years uh do you think the uh the ecosystem is what? The the value of investment coming in? uh, Or at a point, uh, all the fintech companies are really going to come together and, uh, you know, we have two, three, four uh, major uh, fintech companies dominating. Or do we still need a lot of funding in the space? What are your thoughts based on what is happening in terms of funding and the opportunities still in the space?
1: Yeah. Um This is a... Uh... This is a talk on its own, because there's a lot that is loaded into the question you've just asked. But I'll I'll take it from different perspectives, because obviously, this is a space that I pay. you know, This is where I work, and I also pay attention to how things have been evolving in the space. So I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going to start with the um, funding versus growth in terms of does the ecosystem merit all this funding that is coming, and do I think it's going to continue? My answer to that is yes. And the simple reason is because before now, a lot of the growth and the opportunity has not been unlocked. And now we are beginning to see how big the opportunity is. It has been extremely difficult to do market, proper market sizing. So, yes, the market is challenging, but there's just a whole lot of opportunities you're willing to do the work. And before now, the fintech companies that exist have not been able to unlock some of those growths, And we're beginning to see, because of the maturity in the market, we're beginning to see companies not being able to unlock the growth. So if you look at the numbers of these companies, both in terms of the transactions they're processing and also the customers that they're acquiring, these numbers are running into millions. So, the, the, so there's growth opportunity. And funding is basically um, fueling and also following that growth. And that is why we are seeing the kind of attention that we are seeing within the fintech space. Now, having said that, does that justify some of the valuation we are seeing? That is very subjective and it depends on what you, as an investor or as a capital allocator, you're looking for and you're looking at. Mm. In some cases, I would say yes. In some cases, I would say no, but that's my personal opinion. But the most fundamental thing is that, the value is dependent on who is paying the price and what the person is looking at. So your metrics might be different from the metrics that me, I am looking at as someone that wants to invest. But because of the potential and because of the growth and because of the maturity that we are seeing in the ecosystem, um, I think that definitely we are going to see more of it. And I think that to a large extent, those funding and some valuation are justified. And I also believe that it's going to be winners Um In different categories, there will be categories and there would be some companies that will fall through the tracks. I think there's going to be a lot more consolidation and I hope that that happens because otherwise some companies will just fall through the line when they can actually just, you know, merge or consolidate with another company to form a bigger company. Um, In terms of if the funding would continue, it's a cycle because the success breeds success. Because we are now seeing you know, unicorns being created in this category. We are seeing significant growth. We are seeing a lot of digitization opportunity. We are also going to see a lot of companies that are also being created to fill some of the gaps that are now being created because of the new opportunities that the bigger mature companies are creating. So it's, it's it's an ecosystem and it's a cycle that would feed each other and will continue to see um, that growth. But the important thing I want to touch on that I think would continue to drive growth within the fintech space is the... Thin, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any word like that, but I would call it the fintechization of different verticals. Mm, I like that called um, embed finance or um, banking as a service. So it's basically this idea that every technology company or even every company is going to become a fintech company. There's been the evolution of software eating the world, but it's a second layer, which is more of a business model innovation, which is where, irrespective of what you do as a business, if you look critically, even if you do not know it, you will see that there's actually a fintech or a financial services play in your model. The obvious one is payments. Almost irrespective of what you do, either you're a media company, you need to accept payments some way. Either is directly or indirectly. Either is from businesses or from individual. You need to find a way to accept payments. So that's an obvious one. But even deeper than that, there's a need for some financial services in every business. So it depends on how that financial service is being embedded into the business there's a lot of, lot of value that can be unlocked. Also, because there's a lot of data and different industries are being digitized, a natural financial services layer that would evolve into all these different categories is going to continue to drive enormous growth in the fintech space. So when you look at it from a perspective like that, you realize that you're actually just getting started. There's still a mm. lot of opportunities in the fintech space it would. Not, it might not come in the direction that one ex- expects. Um, it might not come in a direction that is obvious, but just because of what is driving growth at the macro level within the digital space, FinTech as a space is one that would continue to grow because the economic infrastructure of the internet needs to be expanded and needs to be built. And as digitization continues to grow, the economic system surrounding it would also continue to grow. Like I said, there's a, there's a lot to be said on this. So <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm very passionate and I'm very close to. So it's something that I can go on and on.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So can you connect this to, I mean, uh, to Bitcoin, for example? I mean, we've seen a lot of backlash uh, by the Nigerian government on Bitcoin and um, on blockchain as a technology that you can also build financial services on top. Uh, so what are the opportunities there that you think? Uh, because now, I mean, the, the, the government attitude towards crypto uh, now, I mean, but of course that is built on blockchain. And there are all other technologies that can be built off blockchain, all yes. right. But if you look at the financial part of it, uh, what are the opportunities that you think, uh, I mean, it still needs to be unlocked? I mean, in Nigeria uh, or yeah, Africa yeah. as as a continent.
1: Yeah, yeah. So st- starting with Bitcoin, right? Um, I'm I'm personally very bullish about Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is um, going to continue to be important in the economic infrastructure of the world. I think it's a technology that is going to be as impactful. And maybe not just Bitcoin, but Bitcoin being the most successful crypto um, and also being like a representation of the crypto play. So when I say Bitcoin now, you can just see it as, you know, you can use it interchangeably as a crypto. You know, I I think it's almost... If not more important as the internet, that's how transformational I think um, that the crypto technology or the blockchain technology is. Um, And Bitcoin being the one that has gotten the most acceptance and uh, the brand and the support, I'm super, super bullish um, on it. Now, having said that, the Opportunities that emerge, ju- that you know, that are possible within the crypto world, are things that they are, obvi- they are almost obvious, but they are also not as obvious. Mm. And there is an appreciation of it, even with governments that are not very friendly to crypto. So, if you look at what is happening in Nigeria, for example, while the you know, the regulators' position on crypto hasn't been a favorable one. They've also launched their own... Um, there's a digital currency, the E-Naira, that is also built on top of the blockchain. Not necessarily crypto, because, you know, the digital, digital currencies and cryptocurrencies are not necessarily the same, but they have a similarity in terms of, you know, the underlying technology of blockchain that they're both using. Um, so there's an appreciation and there's an understanding that there's a superior technology in the blockchain technology that can drive a lot of economic, the movement of um, economic activities and economic opportunity. And that is why you're beginning to see even governments also take a position and play in that regard. Um, But in terms of specific opportunities that becomes available as a result of um, cryptocurrency, I would just want to own on a few, of them, I think um, are almost like obvious and immediate. Okay. We've already seen some, um, you know, we've already seen some play in. One of them is in the media space um, in terms of how, you know, um, art is being monetized and yeah. distributed in a more efficient way and in a more central way and in a more, I mean, in a more decentralized way and in a more global way. So that as an artist, you are not constrained by, you know, your immediate um, ecosystem or your distribution label or your record label, but you have a way to actually get rewarded for your art in a global decentralized system. So there's an appreciation and there's a direct connection between the reward you get and the work you do and the reward that you get. Um in the remittance space as well, we are seeing a lot of adoption, and I think that there's still a play for um, opportunities that make it even more accessible, because to some extent, it still requires a bit of sophistication and some effort for you to leverage on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin to move value around globally in terms of remittances. Um, so I think there's still a lot of opportunities there where... If that process can be further simplified, made cheaper, um, better distributed to which um, a lot of people and make making more mainstream, I think there's a massive potential in that regard. Um, in terms of asset management and um, asset classes, that's where that we've seen the biggest use case of um, Bitcoin, where people are just holding it as an asset um, instead of maybe say holding gold, the old Bitcoin. We, there's, you know, we are still in the early days of that. Very few companies are still holding it in their balance sheets. Very few high network individuals are still holding it in their personal, as, as you know, in their personal portfolio. Um, it hasn't gone as mainstream as you know, even gold. Not to talk of things like real estate, bonds, equities, and the likes. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of opportunity um, in that regard as well. Um, you know, even even in terms of how energy is being distributed. I've been reading also some plays in that regard, in terms of um, global distribution and monetization. Um, And those are now getting into the ones that are less obvious and a bit more technical, but just to keep it like pretty simple, you know, I, I strongly believe that we are still in the very early stage and the potential for crypto, both in Africa and even globally, is still a lot more. And finally, if you're working in the fintech space or even just in the tech space at at all, you have to be very deliberate and very conscious of how you want to have a crypto play. That is something that one has to be very deliberate about if you're serious, because this is a technology that is going to be um, revolutionary um, and is going to really change the world. And it is important that one is... um, Positioned to play in that in, in in that territory and in that space.
0: amazing insight thanks thanks Jackman a lot for for sharing that. I think that's a whole lot uh, I mean for for listeners to think about and to just appreciate I mean these technologies uh, and how I mean they can take advantage of the opportunities uh, build better products leveraging on this technology. Uh, so can you just tell us uh, what you're working on right now and um, is there any other thing you would like to say as as we round up?
1: Yeah so the yeah thanks for that opportunity um so currently i'm working on the something i touched on briefly which is really around my strong belief that there's an opportunity for every business to embed financial services and every digital business has a financial services use case even if they don't realize it yet so for me i'm you know i'm currently going on the mission to enable businesses to first help them identify and give them the resources and the tools and you know the infrastructure that they need to embed different financial services into their business or their solution or their application. Make it super simple for them. Give them the compliance cover, the regulatory cover and everything um, to make that happen. And that is what I'm currently working on. Um, it's still pretty early stages. And um, as we make more progress and, you know, uh, further down on the journey and on the mission, I'll be happy to even share a lot more details on that. But that's where my head is right now. And, you know, for me, I'm looking for partners on this journey um, in different ramifications from investors to um, people who, want to, who believe in a similar mission and who want to join us in you know, building that infrastructure for Africa to enable businesses to um, embed different type of financial services into their ecosystem.
0: Amazing. I mean, it sounds amazing. Uh, thank you, Shagun, for that. Uh, so, is there any other thing uh, you would like to let I me mean, touch on as we as we as we round up? Um,
1: I mean, it's just been an exciting conversation for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've really enjoyed the conversation.
1: <laughs> I just want to say thank you for having me and um, thank you to all the listeners as well for listening and for being a part of us and for everyone to just, you know, TV's been interesting times for the world, but it's also, you know, both in a good and a bad way, you know, there's been a lot of innovation that has happened and acceleration that has happened over the last two years since COVID, even though it has come also with a lot of, you know, negatives and things. Um... I I would just encourage everyone on this, you know, listening to this podcast to just try and stay on the positive side, um, keep hope alive, keep the spirit alive, um, just keep pushing and keep believing um, in humanity, in progress, because there's still a lot more to be done. And we're just getting started. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I would just like to leave it there.
0: Absolutely. Shego, thanks a lot. It's it's awesome. It's wonderful. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you again for having me.
0: All right. Everyone that's Shego Adiyemi. Uh thank you so much for listening to this episode and um, see you next time. Bye-bye.